on this excellent episode of the Sega Talk podcast, we discuss the hidden cult classic action RPG Elemental Gimmick Gear. We talk about the game's humble beginnings, celebrate birthday, and more on this Elemental Gimmicky Seg Talk. SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's Hello and welcome to the Sega Talk podcast. I'm your host, George, and like always, with me is my partner in crime, Barry. Hello, and um, that was a great intro. It's nice to see you finally come out of your shell. Thank you. <laughs> okay, no more. I was going to say in the beginning, no more egg puns. A- after this, we're no more yolks. No more. Yes. No more yolks. This is yeah. it. Today, we'll ch- we're talking about a very special game that Barry's probably never played, right, Barry? This is probably one of those. No, no, I. I considered it, but you know what? We've done shows where you haven't played the game, and I thought, you'll convince me to play this. Right. Or maybe you'll convince me not to play this by the end of the show. All right. And um, why don't you do our Patreon plug, Barry? Absolutely. So if you support us at patreon.com slash segabits at any tier, you get this audio podcast early. There's also a video tier where you get that a week early. And then we have the coveted the exclusive club of Patreon pickers. These are the people that are basically our our producers. They tell us what to pick. And so this episode was actually picked by none other than Michael S. And Michael had this to say about Elemental Gimmick Gear. What, there's actually someone who requested this game? I, I'm pretty sure it's, it's him. Right. Yeah, it's definitely him. <laughs> uh, I got this game as a gift and after unwrapping it I thought what the hell kind of game is this egg the corny artwork didn't help much either I played it and the, and the 2D made me even less excited but once I got into the game it was kind of fun like Zelda with a robot I saw this a few months ago at a GameStop or a game shop for $100 and was shocked. I rummaged through my collection and found it and played it for a while. It was a fun, unique game. I still can't beat it. I'm sure with a guide I could, but modern gaming has made replaying for long periods between safe spots way too much a hassle for me now. Thanks for covering this game for me. Okay, he remembered at the end. (laughs) Why, you want me to just like stop the episode and be like, oh, he forgot, so we don't have to cover this game anymore. It doesn't count, Yeah. 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 Um... So usually in this part of the episode is when we talk about our history with the game. But let me do a little intro on the game for those who never heard of it, which is probably about 90% of the people listening to this. Elemental mm-hmm. Gimmick Gear, also known as Egg, E-G-G, is a video game developed by Birthday, a developer that no one's ever heard of because this is the only game they released outside of Japan that they did. And published by Vatical Entertainment, which I've never heard of either, for the Dreamcast. It was first released in Japan in 2000. I also heard that uh, Hudson Soft did some of the development for it. Um, 
but I would assume it's not, none of the creative stuff because uh, they're. I think they just published it in Japan, so probably just trying to get it out of the door. Egg is a action adventure game that takes place in a steampunk inspired world. Players take on the world of. Oh, this is all okay. So, this part right here I had to delete, but it was part. It's part of the end of the episode. But I let an AI uh -huh. write me a script, and it was all wrong. And I and it's hilarious because it's part of the story. So in the end of the episode, we'll look through the AI created elemental gimmick gear video game that is nothing like the actual I got game. it. So what is your history with Egg? Uh, did you know about mm -hmm. it back in the day? Uh, and when did you finally hear about the game's existence? Um, I actually, I mean, I kind of do have a history with this game. So um, I don't have it on me, but in my wallet for the past, man, probably like 15 years, I carried around this scrap of paper where I had written down all the games I was looking for. Um, this is well before iPhones with the notes function, which I use like religiously now for, for any collectibles or, or anything really, grocery lists, you know, right. <laughs> freelance projects. Um, but for whatever reason, I just, I felt like I always needed to keep that little video game piece of paper with me because there's, you know, not many games on it. It's really broken down by classic Sega consoles. Um, but, I mean, the piece of paper is so old that Dreamcast was almost new at the time that I made this piece of paper. Like, Dreamcast was still, it was maybe like 2005 when I made this piece mm. of paper. So it was still pretty relevant, um, even, even if it was uh, dead at that point. Um, but I just remember going through, like, Dreamcast magazine and going through lists of all the Dreamcast games and just, like, writing down what looked unique and interesting to me um so i would put the big ones like the resident evils i would put some fighting games and then i would put weird ones like um room mania and seventh cross evolution and egg and for whatever reason in my mind i mixed egg up with seventh cross evolution so mm. i thought i owned this game and i looked and i was like no i don't and, and i thought well hey isn't this the same game like just looking at the cover art, you could very well say this game's Seventh Cross Evolution, just based on the title, which is... That game is more like a, um evolution game where you move around like a weird creature and, like... It, it's like Seaman minus, like, the funny stuff. Mm. And this game is a completely different game, but, I, you know, you could still see how it would be in the same bucket. Like, I think if you made a list of offbeat Dreamcast, like... RPG sim sort of games, I, I would say uh, uh, this game, Seventh Cross, um, Evolution, Evolution 2, just like games that are, they almost feel indie, you know what I mean? Or, this or is definitely They're like, from developers. Definitely as close yeah, as an indie game as it gets. <laughs> right, and so in prepping for this show, I watched a YouTube video and it was like, this, I've never seen this game before. I've maybe seen screenshots in like reviews, but I don't think I've actually sat down to watch any gameplay. So I was actually really surprised by what it looked like. It was unlike what I was expecting. Right. So, and I don't think there's anything quite yeah. like this game. Um, uh, to me, the graphics and the 2D backgrounds don't totally remind me of uh, the Sega Saturn game, um, Three Dirty Dwarfs, where they kind of did like a hand-drawing aesthetic look to it. Um, 
that's usually what it reminded me of when I first saw it. Um, outside of the, right. this, my history with the game, I never heard of it when the Dreamcast was out. Also, I wanted to make one point. When you said that it was five years when you had your list of the Dreamcast, technically yeah. the Switch has been out longer than five years. So it's like, and it's still a really relevant console. And I know it's today consoles last longer, but still, it shows you that the Dreamcast died and came and left so soon that your list, you're like, oh, it was already long gone console, but it's like the Switch is still. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. Not to derail the conversation, but I we were talking in the Discord. I think I was talking with Aki, um, and I we were talking about how many games like a console released in its lifespan, and we did the math. And if you break it down month by month, the Dreamcast like had forty games a month. Like if you spaced it out, um, like equally. Whereas the N sixty four, you were getting, I think a quarter of a game a month or half a game a month. Oh, like it was <laughs> the N64 had a terrible release. Like I'm just saying like the amount of games that came out for it was really low. And I think right right right. That. And so it's it's interesting that Dreamcast had, you know, existed for 18 months in the United States and yet, you know, you could play a game every day for a year and you'd be happy. You right. Know? Right. There's a lot. And um so yeah, so my history with Egg since that's the topic of the show, uh, and it is Dreamcast related, so is uh, basically I didn't know about it when it, it came out. Um, maybe I read a little blurb here or there in a magazine, but never really thought too much of it. I think it's the cheesy cover art that kind of drew me away, which is weird. Uh, it looks really like low budget, the American cover art, which we'll look at in a little bit, but. So that's what kind of drew me away. I actually finally played it when I was looking for new Dreamcast games to play way back in the day. And I saw that Racket Boy Hidden Gems list. And this game was mm-hmm. on that list. So I was like, oh, I have to try it. This game looks pretty cool. So I really like Zelda-inspired clones. So I tried it. And I I liked the game. I uh, it, ex- it really reminded me. It's basically if the people that made Pan's Dragoon created a Zelda game in 2D and this is kind of what it is uh, because it literally is like Pan's Dragoon in a way you're on a egg mobile you're fighting in this like post-apocalyptic futuristic world where like fungi and all these things have overgrown in this world and uh, so yeah it kind of reminded me uh, of that and even the artist uh, they're all they're all <clears throat> they're, they're all inspired by the same artist as uh, Pan's Dragoon. So in the end of the day, it is that. So let's uh, hmm. talk a little bit about <clears throat> birthday. You guys, you guys know whose birthday birthday it is? It's mine. So here we have birthday the staff. Uh, from left to right, Hasashi Watanabe, Hiroki Hara, uh, Jun Masui, uh, and Hisashi in the end right here, which is, you can see they're all smiling. I don't know why they're smiling because this is the last game they ever released, but it's actually funny going back and uh, listening to uh, their old interview when the game came out. They totally loved making this game. You could tell it was a passion passion project so let's talk a little bit about the development of the game 
A was developed by a small team called Birthday. They have only developed a handful of titles of games, even though their first game was came out way back in 1888. 1988, not 1888. <laughs> uh, that would be way back in the day. Uh, that, is, uh, that is because they are mostly known for the, uh, as a character design firm who are most famous for designing characters for Twin Princess of Wonder Planet, which is like a little girl anime. Mm. Um, this title is the first game by birthday to make it out of Japan and get a, a North American release, not worldwide. So, the I, uh, actually, if you see the game and you see a lot of the sketches and stuff, you could tell that they're a character design firm first because, like, it, it, you could tell that it's like selling you on the aesthetic of the game and not really the gameplay because the gameplay is just like, we played right. Zelda, that works, let's put it in here. Um, but yeah. The idea of Egg was, unsurprisingly, all inspired by character designer Watanabe, who, who created these like Egg models, and he would show huh. it to the staff as prototypes for characters. According to the staff, Watanabe would come with his design back in 1993 or 1994, and six years later, they finally released Egg, Elemental Gimmick Gear. So let's look mm -hmm. at the first model that they were showing. This is the model that they first showed that inspired the game. So the game was literally inspired by this design. So what do you think about this little design that he, little mech egg robot with a soldier coming out of it? It's cute. It's kind of like a mix of um, Sakura Tyson mm -hmm. uh, and Mobius and right. um, Panzer Dragoon. And Mobius is 100% a influence on this game, just the way it was on Panzer Dragoon. But it gives you that ste yeah. steampunk aesthetic that, that was so popular in these games. I love it. Uh, I wish they would be able to like reproduce these type of models in a game. Obviously, it's way back in the day, yeah. but... Uh, but that wasn't all. What, this model helped set the world. Uh, there was additional models asked for the team. Uh, one of them was by uh, T Takaya, who did this model that would uh, continue the egg machines. They wanted to make as many as they could. So, And we'll talk about some contests they ran on a magazine where they had, I think they did like eight of these little models. And they even talked about how some of them were like movable. They had moving parts, um, and they even well, they even thought maybe they could even make it kind of like a, one of those little hobbyist things where they could buy the models of these egg machines and make them at your house. But that never came to you know, came through That's you cool. know. So egg yeah. was originally developed for the Sega Saturn because according to birthday staffers. They were told that their designers, uh, by the designers, that with the Sega Saturn hardware, you could do anything. Making the team design these expansive maps. Sadly, that didn't work out because it had too much Sega for the Sega Saturn to read at once, which led them to cut those huge maps into smaller re reworked versions. And they even got smaller on the Dreamcast. I don't know why. They didn't explain why, but they did. And according to Hara... Huh. The original Sega Saturn maps were four times the size that we got in the in the Dreamcast version. Um, he also said wow. that they had to cut down the enemies. He says they like designed and gave backstory to all these like 150 plus enemies. They had to scale those back <laughs> down too. So it seemed a lot of a lot of the work did not get used in this game. 
Um, and also, do you remember in the era where the promotion for the Sega Saturn was literally this game, th- this hardware could do anything in 2D? Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like a pushed as a 2D powerhouse. I mean, even today, that's what defenders say. They're like, yeah, well, the 3D wasn't great, but it was a 2D powerhouse. Right, and exactly. And then so you have these people right. here like, oh, yes. You would think, though, like, I understand they're a small developer, but you would think they would be like, maybe we should test how much uh, we could run on the, you know, the limit memory on the Saturn instead of just making <laughs> these really big maps. <coughs> <clears throat> Sorry about that. I'm super sick. Sorry. Um, during development, Birthday had decided to create fully illustrated maps instead of using pre-rendered backgrounds like popular JRPGs at the time. This meant that they needed a illustrated style. If you uh, hmm. if you've seen Sega's Panzer Dragoon, you probably know that it was inspired by French comic artist Mobius. According to Hara, there was one image he drew. A single pers- person emerging uh, from this egg-shaped plane. Uh, when I showed it to everyone and I explained how Mobius took this somewhat comical image of an egg-shaped plane and drew it serious, realistic style, this is what we want. As it turned out, one of our staffers also happened to love the aesthetic of Mobius coloring. The strangeness of his work is not just the odd details, but also the coloring and we tried to bring this to uh, that feeling out for the egg, too. Um, mm-hmm. So, what do you think? Can, can you see Mobius, Mobius's uh, art uh, resonating in this game the way it did in Panzer Dragoon? Yeah, I, I feel Panzer Dragoon um, is more accurate in in carrying over the art into the the finished game, even though that's two uh, D art into three D. This one, it, it feels more like a Game Boy Advance game or <laughs> right, something, right, right. like from above. Um, I, I honestly, I wish this game would like be this concept would be remade um, with full three D graphics that really emulate that style. That would that would look amazing. The uh, the way that they they did the RPG characters kind of reminds me of uh, the way that. Um... What's that team called? The ones that did Shining Force 3, and then they went on to do Golden Sun. Mm-hmm. The way they do their little mm-hmm. chibi characters, that's kind of what it reminds me of. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, the game was supposed to be a lot bigger than it was. The story just takes place of one person called the Sleeper here. But originally, it was supposed to be a generational spanning epic that was toned down because, it, <laughs> according to the developers, they did not want to bore players. They wanted to get you in the game as soon as possible. The idea was originally titled The Egg Chronicles and would have followed a single egg robot across the lives of five pilots, which I think is kind of a little... I mean, I thought it was pretty cool, the idea of five different pilots and five different generations and you being the same egg robot is pretty cool. Yeah, There's a few RPGs that do something like this, like Live Alive, where you could live a life of a person and there's different stories... Except like 10 of them or whatever uh how what would you think of that kind of idea where it's this long generate like oh it's like almost five games in one five different stories yeah that sounds pretty yeah it sounds pretty sprawling um very ambitious i i i don't know about that because i feel like if the game's really gonna last only seven hours you probably don't want it where like you're switching out characters every hour right um 
I, I don't know. I it's it's a fun concept, but I can't see it working unless you have a studio really putting money behind it to like what was that one game dot hack? Right. I remember when that was announced, and I was like, wow, that's ambitious. Right. <laughs> and uh, did they finish that? I have no idea. Yeah. I, I was yeah. gonna say um, my thing with uh, this would be the startup. Usually when you start up an RPG or something like that, it takes a while to actually get into the groove of things. And mm-hmm. having five different pilots and starting up five different stories, some people would just want to turn it off and be bored because it's like uh, Yakuza 5. That one's a hard one to get into because you start up a story and you're like, all right, blah, blah, blah. Oh, this is what's happening. All right. And you're in it. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, it's about to get good. Anyway, you're playing as a different character now and starting. It's like, what? Just let me play the character I was just playing three hours in. So, yeah. Right. It'd be weird. But anyway. Maybe. I mean, you have to be a really good writer and have... And it's possible, but there's also issues. But let's talk about our favorite cover showdown. Two covers we got here. Oh, boy. The American and the... Well, the Japanese and the American. The left, if you're watching the video version... Is the Japanese obviously, and then the American with the cool color art. <laughs> so, uh, which one? Any comments as a designer on both of these? Um, I, I, it's interesting because I think the American art is very weak in terms of like capturing the the feel, and yet they. I mean, they both have a guy inside the mech, and I don't think either one do a good job showing that the mech is egg-shaped. Right. Um, one looks like a brooding guy. He almost gets lost in it on the Japanese one. It almost reminds me of a, um alien, you know, like from the movie Aliens. Right. Like, it looks like, if you squint, it just looks like an a- alien from Aliens. And then you're like, oh, it's a guy inside a thing. Why does he look so grumpy? He kind of looks like... um a hunter from Fantasy Star Online, doesn't he? Yep. <laughs> and then on on the American one, it looks like a 1970s sci-fi movie or like an elf or something. Like, it's a very weird take on the character. I'm actually surprised that they completely redid the art. For, for a game developed by character, a studio that's known for character designers... And a game series based off of artwork done six years prior. They're like, ah, let's throw all that out the window and have an American artist do their take. It's very stupid. The worst part of this is that that piece of art where he's coming out of the ship is actually in yeah. the manual. But somebody they got an American artist to literally like go over it and make it worse. So that's like the worst thing. It's not, even, it's not even technically original. It's just... It is original. It's like if I got the the original Sonic Adventure cover and then I put a pencil and paper over it and then I traced it and made it worse and then that was the cover for America. Well, that's what, that's what confuses me because Sega Genesis, yeah, they were known for doing that all the time, but this is 1999. Like, why did they think they needed to redo the art in the West when Japanese games were so popular? Like... Th- They'd like to do nothing more than say, oh, this is a Japanese RPG, you know, like Berserk. Right. You know, or something. Stupid. It, I agree. This is uh, one of those, uh, they, uh, J- Japan's better. I know it's black and white and it doesn't pop as much, but 
I like the Japanese cover better. I think it captures at least the world a little bit better. I, I don't know why he has to be so sad sure. all the time, but it, it, I guess it works a little bit better than I don't know yeah. what the American one is going on there. He's like, check out this world. I don't know. Just I, I see. This is why I would never like if I was a kid back in the day in the Dreamcast, and I only had to buy one game. Would this game be it for that? Would that cover? No. There's so many good Dreamcast no. games back in the day, like Dead or Alive Two. Any like we could name like almost a hundred games. Hundred percent. And they yeah. all had better covers than this. So, sorry, figure it out. <clears throat> So, let's talk about the story in this game. The story in A takes place in a scene that happened 5,100 years before the event of the, in the game. As a scientist finds a strange, strange egg-shaped machine in the ruins and finds a sleeping man known as the Sleeper inside of it. It is analyzed <laughs> and, and dubbed... The elemental gimmick gear and is mass produced for consumers and military. A hundred years after the first egg was discovered, unknown pilots go back to the founding site, activate a slumbering AI, which triggers an event referred to as the breeding. The land is covered in fog, growing tentacles and producing animals and machines to wreak havoc on the world. The sleeper awakes then without his memories. Players can also. Co oh, this is. I don't know why. I didn't delete this. so as you can see not only does the game have a similar art aesthetic to Panzer Dragoon the story also kind of has the same vibes this whole like ancient technology being awakened again uh, this I think there's like a the immortal or the I forgot what they're called in Panzer Dragoon but they're in the ruins and they're awakened by thousands of years so uh, do you think they never said I looked the whole interview I read it they never mentioned Panzer Dragoon as an influence in this game. But do you think mm. Panzer Dragoons could have been an influence on this title? It, it could have, but they also seem like both were influenced by Mobius. Right. So I think that just might be the case. Mm. Um, but I, I dig it. I like the art style. Like I said, though, I don't, I don't think it fully carries over to the game itself. Like You look at the illustrations, then you look at the game... I, I don't really see a connect there, but um, it, it looks cool. And uh, one of the things that sets this game apart from other games, uh, depending on how you, tr uh, is how you, depending on your choices in some of the v games, you can miss parts of the story. So the first part hmm. of the game, for example, you're dealing with pirates. If you defeat them and you aren't sympathetic to them, you'll actually miss out on a part of the story on why, you know, why they're doing what they're doing. Um, in your opinion uh, on games, uh, what do you think about games that have like miss missable story parts, missable arcs for some characters if you don't do certain things this, the right way? What do you think about that? I'm not bothered by it. Um, I think back to Shenmue, that happened all the time. Right. And it would actually make the game feel larger and more expansive because you're like, you still feel satisfied in the end. You don't feel like you missed anything, and then you see cutscenes online, and you're like, "Oh wow, you could go talk to those people," and and they had a whole storyline. So um, I think it's cool. I've, I've never experienced every single thing the game has to offer, unless it's you know like a, a smaller thing like Sonic One or something like. Right. It's not like you're going to miss out on something there, but um, 
you know, we, we just did in our last game, we did World of Illusion, and there's a, a platformer where you can actually miss out on whole stages depending on if you're not playing with a friend, if you're just right. playing playing solo. So I, I don't have an issue with that. It is a very long game, though, so and I don't think it's a game that a lot of people have returned to, so maybe that's the negative. Right. That, you know, I don't know. But I don't know, maybe save files work in a way that you could go back and re-experience right uh segments so yeah um my opinion on it is i wish that they would like instead of just cutting out sections make parts different depending on your choice so like the stories told differently depending on how you act against them right um but you still get right. a story or some sort of a unique encounter so i would prefer that than just saying we're gonna cut this whole part out because you didn't do this you you weren't ha- <laughs> nice to these pirates i'm like piracy is terrible okay i'm okay it's okay for me to dump on these pirates after i beat them the game is an a manageable 13 and a half hours long uh, depending on who you ask i mean i would say that's a for an rpg that i mean that sounds satisfying because like I played some JRPGs, like I'm playing uh, that Soul Hackers 2, and I don't know if I want to go back because I'm like 40 hours into it, and they want me to do these, oh, you got to be level 80 to get into here, and I'm like, it's going to take me another two hours to get to level 80, do I really want to do this, just to do another boss fight? <laughs> so, um, right. So, and if you want to do side missions, you get three more hours of gameplay, so about 16 hours t- to be a completionist. Uh, it, uh if you look, actually, this game has a lot of side missions or a lot of side things they thought about doing. So, so uh, and some of these side missions, if you do them, you get hidden moves. One of them is if you talk to Lucky, uh, a side character, which we'll talk about later. If you play him, a, if you fight him a hundred times in sparring, he gives you a move where you're. So you know how in every fighting game you have an ultimate move, right? Like the. Uh, TMNT, Hyperstone Heist, you have the one where you do more right, damage, right, right. but it shrinks your health. Right. Well, if you if you spar him a hundred times, it won't take away health. So you can just spam it. Obviously, that's something you want to do <laughs> if you play this game because having that ability kind of uh, helps you a lot. Um, so there's also... Uh, oh, yeah, there's this one crazy guy that has that conversations, and then he'll ask you to... Hey, what did what did I say in the conversation, right? Like those type of games. But he'll randomly right. ask you stuff he didn't even talk about because he's crazy, right? So they do little things <laughs> like that. So if you're into that kind of stuff, you might like this game if you're into wacky things like that. Uh, also, villagers in this game, when you return back, they actually change dialogue, which is kind of unique compared to other JRPGs. Um Mm-hmm. Did you ever notice early on in your life when you played these JRPGs that most of the villagers were static? Like, they never changed. You would play the game and come back and they were still like, the watering hole is wet. And you're like, cool, dude. Yeah, yeah. I'd <laughs> be shocked when I'd actually see them move. I'm like, wow, this game's really next level. The, right. the guy went inside. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. And um, I guess it's something that I, I, a lot of people took for granted when Shimu came out how these people have so much interactions because like even playing like Final Fantasy 8 that came out the same year as Shimu uh the world is very static right. <laughs> compared to that so for sure it, it does make a difference and I do t- 
I am the guy that when I was a kid, I would talk to everyone in the village because I wanted to see what they would say. I don't know why. Most people probably just skip them. But. So let's talk about some of the characters in the game. Um, the game's biggest disappointment for some people, because I, I guess RPGs have to have a lot of characters, is the lack of characters. Which I guess is very Zelda-ish like, because Zelda only has like four characters. So the first character we have here is called the Sleeper, or Leon, uh, who is, he's called, uh, he's named. At the start of the game, we find out Leon was frozen in a sleeping pod in the lab by Dr. Yam, where he was found 200 years later inside the OG, original, egg machine, and has been napping for about 5,000 years or something. Um, and then we have, uh, oh, and here's the design, uh, of uh see this is literally the north american design but they like redid it and made it worse yeah yeah they could have just <sighs> no, whatever um and then we here we have <laughs> dr yam who is the head of uh, yam ruin uh hospital i think it's called and uh what oh his fa father uh, founded the uh, lab where he works and he spent his entire life studying uh the sleeper then we have uh, Celine. She works at the lab and she is responsible for caring for the sleeper. She's the one that Nick names you Leon. And she's kind of your support in your ear. Here we have Lucky. He's the orf he's the uh, he lost his parents during the Fogna activation. He lives in the city near Yam Ruin Laboratory. Has a younger sister, and he is like the leader of the orphan gang, I guess. Um, he's the one that you have to fight a hundred times to get that cool spinny move. Um, that's it. That's basically the characters for this game. Um, what do you think about, like, we literally talked about Shining Force 2 not that long ago. Had, like, 30 characters. They were all unique, uniquely uh, created right. for the game. Do you, what do you think about these Zelda-type games with, like, four characters? Is that good enough for an a, a action-adventure RPG game? It depends on the setting. Like, I actually kind of like those types of games where you you really feel like you're being dropped into a, the wilderness or an apocalyptic setting where it's like you're only going to have a handful of, of characters you really interact with and then the rest are enemies. Right. Um, so it, it doesn't bother me. I actually kind of like those because then you get to know the NPCs really well. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say if they're taking inspiration from Zelda here, then that's definitely spot on. Like each, each NPC serves their purpose in the game. Mm. Um, and you know, they don't need to go all out, but, um, yeah. Yeah. If it suits the game, I have no problem with it. I mean, this isn't like a, a strategy RPG where you're like recruiting characters or anything. Mm -hmm. So why would they need a whole village, um, designed uh, right. for that or something? I agree with you, and I think it actually helps, like you said, the post-apocalyptic uh, world it's supposed to be in. So I'm okay mm -hmm. with it. I think it works for the setting, uh, post-apocalyptic setting. I think it's fine. Um, people being upset about it, I don't know. Uh, go sniff farts. That's what I would say. Um, <laughs> ew. Ew. Don't sniff them. You know, I don't think that you're supposed to do that. Um, like you I said, be <laughs> like I said before. Egg is highly inspired by The Legend of Zelda video games, specifically Link to the Pass on the Super Nintendo. 
Um, the game has exploration, puzzle solving, upgrade systems that are all Zelda inspired. You will explore dungeons scattered throughout the world, find new tools, backtrack in order to find deeper roots. Your Eggmobile starts off with a short punch, a block, and a spin attack that drains your health but is powerful. Later, you'll, get, you'll even get access to a flame beam. Freeze, you'll be able to freeze enemies so they could wait way more so you could put them on switches so you could open doors, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where the elemental from Elemental Gear comes in. Even though the game is an, an RPG in name, the leveling up is more Zelda-ish than an RPG. You find kind of heart pieces or containers in this game to uh, increase your gauges and health. The game also has a 3D perspective, which maybe I should show here on the gameplay in the background. There's like boss battles mm -hmm. that are 3D, and I don't know, I'm not really that into them because like the graphics for the boss battles look like... I don't know, man, like uh, old Sega Saturn 3D, like a PlayStation 1 upscaled game, kind of. You know what I'm talking about, that look? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it is kind of weird and jarring because you see this beautiful 2D background and you're like, oh, all right, <laughs> cool, we're doing this. Um, right. And they also, some of the matches could go on, it seems like forever, but they do, they do a cool job trying to translate all your weapons into a 3d environment so you play as them in the zelda top view and then you're in the 3d view mm -hmm. and they kind of translate kind of well some of them have a little bit different they work a little different like they'll slow down enemies if you have the freeze beam for example in 3d which they don't do in 2d but uh yeah um what is your i don't i was gonna say what, what is your opinion on like uh, zelda type games are you a zelda fan were you ever did you ever like link to a pass or anything like that um i was never a huge zelda fan but i did play the original nes game a bit the uh very very first one and enjoyed that mm. um as far as like the the look and feel of this game it, it honestly reminds me of like a sega cd title um Mainly because, like, the the graphics are really nice. Like, it's really nice 2D graphics. And then the music is almost, like, overly CD, CD quality sound, if right. that makes sense. It's right. like, in, in the Sega CD era, they were like, no, we cannot have any bleeps and bloops. We're going to have Echo the Dolphin, and it's going to sound like you're at a spa in, like, the 1990s. You know? Right. Like, it's... It's, um, like, they really go above and beyond with the soundtrack. Um, and it, it actually is almost kind of jarring when you see it paired with the, uh, with the graphics that they give you. That's why I said it, it looks like Game Boy Advance graphics, I guess, but I guess it's more, it's more like Sega CD, Sega Saturn. But it just, it, I guess, because it looks like it's trying to be rendered. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, it, it's looking like it's trying to be more than what it is. Right, right. Um, mm -hmm. So, did I, oh, I guess I, I didn't. So, I was going to ask you, did you ever play mm -hmm. uh, J, a lot of J, uh, JRPGs back in the day? Uh, like PlayStation 1 era, when they were popular? Uh, no, I actually, I the only PlayStation 1 RPG I own is Final Fantasy 7, and I played just a small bit of that, like a fraction of disc 1. It just wasn't my thing. Um, but I did really appreciate like how they translated these epic stories into basically like 2D pixel art with like really cheap 3D graphics. It was right. actually pretty impressive. 
Right. Um, and I get that vibe from this. This kind of gives me Final Fantasy VII vibes just because it's like a mix of sprites and like kind of cheap 3D. Right. <laughs> and, and that's the funny part. You know? It's like the opposite though. It's like the backgrounds are 2D but the uh, rendered characters kind of look like they're three. They wanting to be 3D. And it's weird. Right. Like it's, it's just this weird. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. But the backgrounds in this game were all 2D, which at the time of this game when it came out, the trend was to be like Final Fantasy and have pre-rendered 3D backgrounds or whatever they were, right. like pre-rendered backgrounds. Um, do you like, what What do you prefer as a background? Because I like the 2D because when I was a kid, I could tell that, oh, this isn't a real background. This is just an image, that, like a JPEG they put up. It looks all not weird. Right. Yeah. No. I. I. Uh, as I get older, I appreciate the games that are like 100% pixel art mm. because you get some really cool little touches that are obviously put there by the pixel artists. Whereas, I don't know. I feel like pre-rendered. It's just it's trying to look like something it's not. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And then fully 3D. There's a point where it really starts to be impressive. But if you're looking at like full 3D. Uh, backgrounds for RPGs like in the Dreamcast era it wasn't quite there right not quite there yeah let's talk about the music for this game um the soundtrack was actually really well done I actually if you like soundtracks check it out um and it's done by Hiroshi Rokudo who has only done one game previously on the Super Nintendo with Birthday uh, his music is very melancholy, with adventurous type soundtrack, which is kind of normal for a Zelda type RPG game. Um, but it, it's it, it pairs nice with the ambient music music in the jungle. Overall, we're checking out. Uh, he also is basically like a like a studio bass player, so I don't know if he actually has a band. I looked up his discogs. But it just has like an old Super Nintendo game he did. Uh, he was credited on. That's the only thing they have of him. Um, there was a soundtrack released back in 1999 by Bandai Music, and it was released exclusively in Japan. How much would this go for? I actually try to look it up, and I have no idea because there is no eBay listing for it. There is no Discog page that I could find. Um, so if you're out in Japan, uh, maybe you want to keep an eye out for the soundtrack album. I'm sure it's, uh, rare enough to keep if you're a Sega collector. Um, mm. do you have a list of stuff when you go to, when you finally get to Japan that you're going to be looking for? Um, I actually did have one, but I kind of stopped working on it when my trip got canceled. But, mm. you know, when I, when I go back, um, there, there are definitely some things I'm looking for. Mainly the, uh... Uh, Sega 3D Classics games for the 3DS, but I know those are very expensive now. Mm. Let's talk about the promotion and legacy of this game. This is... Let's. So, while the game wasn't massive, it did have uh, two different print ads in America, surprisingly. Uh, uh, Same ad. One was one page. The other one was two page. We're going to be looking at the two page version of the ad. And this is the ad we got in America. So you're a kid. You're a little Barry. You're going in your yeah. magazine. You're ready. You're ready to get a Dreamcast game. You're hungry. This is the ad you see right here. The hatching. It's just right. this hatching. Egg. 
and you see these screenshots. What what's Young Barry gonna say? This is it, baby. No no Sonic Adventure for me. This is uh this is my game. It, I can't tell what this game is. It looks like a Jurassic Park ripoff, maybe. Mm. I don't know, man. That Shimmy Dinosaurs. game Shimmy game isn't looking as good when you see this screenshot. Hatching. Maybe it's Billy Hatcher. Like the prequel. <laughs> the pre it is the prequel. <laughs> um Next, we're going to be... It's not doing it for me. No, I, I think they needed to be more creative. They're trying to do like a Sega game where they're like trying to like invoke some mystique, but it's like, no, dude, the Dreamcast games was all about like being a little memorable. Like Capcom ads were like, let's have a foursome or, or let's foreplay. And it's like... Right, right. Right. Trying to like... You know, I actually, I, I posted a thing where it was um, Chicks with Kicks. Uh. And it was uh, a like a 2000s magazine ad and it's insane because i was like oh boy i was like look at this like kind of face palmy and everyone in the comments were like this is true video game journalism this is before they became all self-righteous this is what we need more of and i'm like wow i guess i really didn't read the room i'm not like shaming them but still you gotta so think that it's a little little face palmy so we should just make a podcast where we talk like that, we'd be like, damn, you see uh, the new Laura Croft game? She had some big old, big old milkers, dude. Right, okay. right. It made me realize that we're definitely not in sync with our followers on Twitter, at least. Or right. maybe our Twitter followers are just like a bunch of like angry, horny kids. <laughs> I guess I so. Know. Or man children or something. I don't know. I guess. I was just kind of shocked. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like if they. What they want is like an elemental gimmick gear one where it's like an egg, but like an ovary or something, like mm. sperm. You know what I mean? Right. Like It's 5,000 years. This is what I'm talking about. So yeah. you waited 5,000 years, time to get laid. <laughs> That's it. Right, yeah. exactly. Egg. Excellent. All right. Um, the next one is a bigger promotion. Japan had a bigger promotional run for this game. Uh, obviously, it's not surprising. They had a two-page spread. Uh, this is a flyer, actually, they gave out in Japan to people. It came with a p- poster kind of thing with screenshots of the cover of the game for Japan. And then it came with, like, a mm-hmm. second page where you could see the bios of the game and it gives you more info in the world. Um, as you can see, that that flyer on top right there where he's coming out of the g- gimmick gear and that little background, that's literally the copied cover yeah. for the American. And it's like they saw this flyer and they're like, oh, look at that. Tra- let me trace it real quick and make it worse. Yeah. I screwed. I, I fucked it all up. Hell yeah. You know, that's basically yeah, what happened. Yeah. So this is promotional material. I like finding stuff like this that I didn't see before. I've never seen this art. I like it. I think the art in this game is amazing. So the next is a Basically, they rented out the Dreamcast magazine for that month in Japan. They basically had the cover art, as you can see right here. And then they had Mm -hmm. a few pages of of ads. So the first one is this tower thing with the light. And then then it's the E3. And then the front cover has its own gimmick gear art, which I think is cool. And I've never seen them use this art after this, where it's uh, Mm -hmm. the gimmick gear in the back. And it looks... Cool. I like the color scheme. Uh, and then the, the, the next page is just a two-page ad spread. And then the third page is the cover with the blue background, basically. But 
They bought all these pages in a magazine for this game. I'm surprised, that's all. Doesn't seem like a game that would uh, need a cover. One, two, three, four pages of ads. But it's all in the same magazine, too, so isn't that crazy? Yeah, wow. And as I said before in the beginning of the uh, episode, Birthday had a, uh, one of the developers at Birthday had a friend that was an editor for Denki, Denkai Hobby Magazine in Japan. And was a fan of, of the designs they made for this for this game. So they did a column that ran for multiple issues in the magazine called The A Chronicles. That uh, It lasted several months and each column would feature a different 3D model to show uh, basically uh, the world of the game. So it would be like this person and they make up a story. They use this elemental gear in this world to do this kind of stuff. Um, right. So they would have they had to hire pro modelers to make these models so they can make articles to promote the game so that was part of the, the promotion of the game this led to the oh my egg oh my egg contest in the magazine <laughs> which had players right. submit their own egg designs and they wanted entries to be like you know the driver make a story for the driver why do they use it how does how do they live in this world and then they would have uh, a birthday designer design a sculpture based on your design and present it to you as a gift which i think is cool like imagine uh, saying that you submitted a character design for sonic forces and uh one of the sonic artists made a sculpture for you and they gave you your character that you created for this contest and now you have the only copy of that sculpture i think that's really, yeah, really cool yeah. so cool contest before we close up the episode, though, I do want to <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit about Chat GDP. I told it GPT. I told it to give me some elemental gimmick gear, quick facts or unknown facts. So here are some of the unknown oh facts boy. that are totally real. A was developed by Stink Entertainment, which it wasn't, which is a developer for some niche and niche RPGs. I'm not even going to go on about that one. The game's story was written by Hideki Kamiya, who is better known for developing Devil May Cry and Bayonetta, as well as directing and writing games like Okami, Viewful Joe, and many others. He never yeah. worked on this game. Mm -hmm. The game no. features a unique egg change system, which allows players to switch <laughs> different forms for the protagonist's robot suit on the fly during gameplay. No. And the egg suit has a drill form, a flying form, a tank form, and a light form. Each form their own unique abilities and gameplay style. No. The game's protagonist, Gimmick, not his name, shares uh, some similarities with the protagonist of the game, Bar-Q, also developed by Sting. No. Baroque? Baroque? Is that how you say it? Baruch? Yeah. No? Baroque? Uh, well, the game was not a commercial success. Okay, I don't care about that. The game has a sense of... Okay, I don't care about that. Let's see. Uh, okay. The, oh, yeah. The, the composers are not... They're saying the guys that did Sonic Adventure and, and Fantasy Star Online soundtracks did the soundtrack for this, which we know is not true. You'll like this one, the last one. The game was directed by Takashi Azuka, who is known for his work on Sonic Adventure series and various Sega titles. Did you know Zuka worked on this game? That well, I think it's thinking Billy Hatcher. 
Yeah, me too. It's <laughs> like mixing Billy Hatcher facts with like wrong elemental gimmick gear facts. Right. I love That's it. It's a mess. Yeah. So don't use chat uh, GPT <laughs> to do uh, egg facts, at least. Well, remember, um, Chat GPT thought Yu Suzuki developed Thunderblade, but Yu Suzuki developed, helped develop the arcade board, but he had nothing to do with the game. Mm, we gotta get better at it, huh? Because the arcade board was the uh, afterburner board. So, mm. yeah, Chat GPT is about as smart as like some of our Twitter followers so. and me. So we're, I, I wish I was, sometimes it gets a, when it does get it right and it gets it quickly, like, have you told it to like, creative writing is the best. I'm like, give me a, uh, like, just give me a family, a evil family of four. That's, uh, what is it? What is it? Woke and, uh, biracial and all this other stuff. And it just goes on and gives me a story for each person with names and all like family history. I'm like, all right, this is cool. If you like D&D stuff, it's cool. But, uh, yeah. So, okay, let's talk about... <laughs> let's finish up the, the, the episode by talking about the legacy of the game. Legacy-wise, yeah, yeah. Birthday, along with Hudson, devel- uh, developed a great-looking, sounding, and plain Zelda hybrid RPG that ha- like felt it had a kid with Panzer Dragoon. The game never sold well enough to launch Birthday or the brand onto another sequel. To close it up, I want to. I want. This is what Watanabe said to fans who were starting their egg journey back in 1999. He says, "Well, it's obvious, but I want people to have fun playing the game. You know, just the simple joys of piloting the egg and exploring the unique world." And I think that's Aww. the best part of the game. So, so you want to read some of our Patreon? Memories of this game, if we have any. How many egg? egg? Uh, we do. We have another one, actually. Um, Daniel Andres says, uh, Oh my goodness, you guys are doing this game already. <laughs> did I request this one? I have a feeling that I did. Anyways, Egg is a very unique and interesting game on the Dreamcast. Okay, I know that the Dreamcast is full of games like that, but how about the one that looks like it was intended for the Saturn? Mm. I know that makes it sound less interesting in a way. But in another way, that is definitely interesting. The opening cinematics to this game are just astonishing, and the gameplay is really good. I can't quite remember when I first heard of this game, but I do absolutely love it. It is pretty great, even though it isn't perfect. And I think that's a good way to sum up the game. Absolutely. I agree. And I, I agree as well. Uh, do you have anything you're going to do next time? Yes. Um, next time, and we'll we'll discuss scheduling off air because I think I'm gonna be out the usual week. But uh, it is going to be another Patreon pick. We have a pick coming from uh, Michael S. Again, it's going to be Bangayo. So he's really uh, focused on those uh, little hidden gems on the Dreamcast. So I'm looking forward to discussing that one. Um, I think we'll also touch on the, uh, there's what, a Game Boy Advance one as well. Right. Um, So we'll we'll touch on that as well, but looking forward to talking about that. Okay. And we'll catch you guys next time on Sega Talk. Bye. Mega Talk. Bye.
Bye.